Hello and welcome to Unbossed. We are indeed so glad that you are here. Go ahead, phone a friend or a friend of me, send them a text message, a message in the bottle. Let them know one of the best hours of their day is happening right now. Yes, right now. And I have the one and only Jordan Yule with me to co-host today's show. Jordan is a writer for the 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 ever telling the truth, the lever doing the daggone thing. And he's also host of Game Busters. Jordan, so good to have you here with us today. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, tell us what's happening over at the lever and what you are rocking and rolling with on Game Busters. Uh, over at the lever at levernews.com, uh, that team is putting out amazing reporting day after day, uh, holding the powerful to account, reporting on underreported stories that put workers first. It's a truly spectacular outlet, and people should definitely check it out. Levernews.com. And on Game Busters on Friday nights at 8:30 Eastern, Twitch.tv/tyt. We play games with the tyt community. You can participate mess up our game, as we call it, busting our game. Uh, it's a ton of fun, so please be sure to join us. Yeah, I might have to come on over there from time to time, but only when I get a great setup like yours. I love the mood that you've set right there in your studio. I'm feeling that. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. And today, Jordan and I will be covering oh, the king of WTF neoliberals, the one and only President Joe Biden. And this chick, Marjorie Taylor Greene, is at it again. What the hell, GOP? And finally, two police officers have been charged with beating a homeless man. This is truly disgusting. So here we go, Florida police, Florida, Florida, Florida. Between you and your governor, watch this. Now, what you just watched was surveillance footage of two officers handcuffing a homeless individual by the name of Jose Gutierrez. What these officers went on to do is truly disgusting. Here's a timeline of the events that occurred. Officer Rafael and Officer Lorenzo of, of, of a city in Miami-Dade County handcuffed 50-year-old Jose Ortega Gutierrez, a homeless man who was known in the area. Surveillance cameras in the area around did not show any behavior by Gutierrez that would warrant an arrest. This reporting is coming from The Guardian. Let's put up their mug shots because these truly are mug shots at this time. The officers then drove him to a dark and isolated spot six miles away, blasting their emergency lights on the way. They allegedly threw Gutierrez on the ground and beat him. He later woke up without cuffs, bleeding from the head. Now Gutierrez was eventually able to find help through an off-duty police officer, thank you officer, who was walking his dog and called 911 for him. 
Now, the reportedly the call, one of the respondent officers did ask about Guterres's condition and asked him to write up the 911 call as a quote, no report. The incident soon led to an internal investigation. Salak was charged with tampering with the victim and of course we put up their shots. Now day after the incident, Ortega Gutierrez said that he was approached by a Sali who he said identified himself as a private investigator and offered him $1,200 in cash to sign an affidavit that he had been arrested for drinking and hadn't been beaten by the officers. Now again, Selah was charged with tampering with the victim and here is his mug shot. There he is right there. The officers were fired on Thursday and taken into Miami-Dade jail. They have been denied bail by a judge. Now this news comes off the murder of Tyree Nichols. Jordan saddened, sick to my stomach over this. I can think of no better example of why we need to defund the police than this story. So here we have two Florida cops who took a homeless man who was experiencing some sort of circumstance or difficulty that led to interaction with the police. They handcuffed him, took him to a remote location and beat him senseless and potentially left him for dead. Now, the lawyer for these cops argued that this person, this man experiencing homelessness was a career criminal who was arrested all the time. Ask yourself why that is. And if this person has so many difficulties going through life, why are the police the ones to respond? Why isn't a social worker? Why isn't somebody as part in who has an affiliation with a safety net program helping him? What we need to do is take the funding that goes to the police and reallocate it throughout our communities to better suit the needs of people how they need it. So that person isn't always getting arrested. That person has some sort of stability in his life where he's no longer getting arrested day after day. It's that simple. This is the perfect example of why we need to defund the police. And Jordan, I mean, really to take, you know, kidnapping, you know, to take this man off into a dark, corner somewhere and beat him. You're sick. You know, at a certain point when we look at these cases, whether it's this case right here or what happened to Nichols, you have got to say that whatever profession these individuals were in, you know, it happens to be policing, which puts a larger onus on them to do the right thing because they have the power literally of life and death in their hands in terms of physical life and death and also locking somebody up. But that is what our system is designed to do, that if the police come upon somebody that has broken the law, their job, their primary job is to take them to jail. So that that person will have their day in court and not to be the judge, jury and executioner. But what we have in this case, Jordan, clearly are deranged people. They would be deranged no matter what profession they were in. That because this, this shows their true nature. Because why else would you do this to somebody? I mean, really, it is, it is really sick. And Jordan, I would love your thoughts about at the top, because at some point we're dealing with these frontline officers who are sick. I mean, these examples are sick individuals who are police officers. There's a however to this, the culture starts from the top 
And to me, these types of cases go well beyond what the police officers did all the way up to who is running those departments. And in many, most of the cases, ultimately to the mayor's office. Certainly, uh, I would go beyond that, I think city council and all the way up to uh, the state government. Because these aren't isolated incidents. And when you have things like this where people are so comfortable in uniform to handcuff someone, take them to a remote location, beat them senseless. That's not something they do on a whim. That shows a level of comfort and a perceived protection by the county government or the state government that they're going to get away with it. So like you're saying, this is a systemic problem. These aren't just a few bad apples and I'm so tired of that excuse because we apparently the whole barrel is spoiled because we're seeing it all over the country in all these different departments. And more often than not, they just bounce around and find a new department. They don't lose their job and they're not exiled from policing altogether. They just go somewhere else and do the same thing. I mean, that yeah. that guy in Cleveland, uh, Michael Brillo, who who killed someone, he had bounced around in multiple different departments. How is that? How is that possible? Like, if you if you were famous for embezzling money from a Fortune 500 company, no other company would touch you. But right. in policing, you can kill somebody and just go to a neighboring department. It yeah. is ridiculous, and it shows this culture in police unions and police departments where they protect their own because they ultimately operate as a gang. Yeah, I mean that is true, and definitely when I watching the Nichols, what happened to Tyree? I mean, definitely those officers were comporting themselves just like that, and this is chilling. It is absolutely chilling all the way at the top. All levels of government need to respond to this, and it is a culture, and it is accepted. And unfortunately, too many police unions. It is rare when police unions side the other way, even in the face. Of the evidence, because you know, I I do understand. You know, let let let's follow the evidence. Well, let's let's follow the evidence, Jordan. Even when we're following the evidence, don't believe your lying eyes, don't believe your lying ears. You know, these these police unions still insist that their members are doing the right thing. That that in and of itself is part a major part of the problem. Because if good law enforcement officers would police their own then a lot of this stuff would go away because it is all about the culture. It's the culture within some of these police unions and many of these police unions. And it's also the culture within the department and the culture all the way at the top. So this should not stop at those law enforcement officers. This should go all the way to the tippy tippy top. We will absorb this stuff, y'all. It's a lot, we know it's heavy. We'll be back after this. And welcome back to the show. Now, you know, if you're watching and you're not a member of TYT, you know you want to become a member. Go ahead, do that right now. We got you spinning a virtual wheel. Go to tyt.com slash spin, sign up. You will become an annual member and then we'll send you a confirmation email where you can spin the wheel. You will land on a prize and wait for a delivery via the mail do that. And speaking of the lever, we have the one and the only David Sirota. He will be joining Jink on Friday, this Friday, baby. You don't want to miss that at 5:30 p.m. ET and 2:30 p.m. PT on tyt.com/live. Jordan, I was teasing uh, David, his little model head shot right there. 
<laughs> you know, I like the one where he's like the finger guns. I like it. He's got a great sense of humor, so I, I'm sure he's he was just messing around. But uh, yeah, those are those are nice glamour shots. Nice, nice glamour shots. Go ahead, Sarota, Emily, girl, I see you. And the watch list. You can tune into the watch list starting next week, right after Unbossed. Baby, you don't want to miss it. Just go ahead and stay on the channel. The watch list with J.R. Jackson. Do that thing. And then Rihanna is on Rebel HQ. Check out Ray on Rebel HQ, where she highlights all of the right wing, you know, kind of crazy hypocrisy. She discusses LGBTQ plus news and talks about system failures. Subscribe at youtube.com slash rebel HQ. Now on to my absolutely favorite part. And you all know what it is because I tell you this every single day, what some of the viewers are saying. We are going to start with our TYT members, Mickey. Hey, Mickey, baby. Jorby is adorable. This grandmother wants to just pinch his cheek. Shut up, grandma. Jor Jorby, okay, Jorby. <laughs> and on Twitch, do woo. Go ahead, do woo. And unboss deep dive. Love it. We loving it too. Thank you for that, do do woo. And on and on YouTube, super chat, salty slay. First time watching live with Nina. Thank you, Salty Slay. So glad you have the opportunity to watch us live today. And many thanks to all of you for how you support Unbossed and how you support the TYT network. We could not do what we do without you, boo. So thank you so very much. Now, President Joe Biden has a new best friend who is making me say WTF neoliberal. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. We have to start treating each other in ways different than we have, in my humble opinion. It's been the greatest honor of my life to serve this country. I know I don't look it, but I've done it for a few years. <laughs> a lot of good folks, not so good folks, great folks, and a lot of folks better than me. Let's just sort of kind of join hands again a little bit. Let's start treating each other with respect. That's what Kevin and I are going to do. Not a joke. We had a good meeting yesterday. What you just watched was President Joe Biden at the National Prayer Breakfast Thursday morning. And the president referenced what he called a good meeting in the Oval Office with Speaker Kevin McCarthy on Tuesday. Nothing material emerged from that meeting, but you know, it was a good meeting. I get it. But here is what Kevin McCarthy had to say following the meeting. Let's roll this tape. We we told stories one another about different political things. Yeah, that's what I don't want to say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna share that. Hey, look, since he's been president, we really haven't had one-on-one -on -one time like this. So so yes, he remembered me. We told stories. Okay, nothing wrong with that. You know what? I, hey, nothing. Truly, I I'm not throwing shade. Nothing wrong with that. So let's break this down. This bipartisanship, though, that is, it boils down to what comes of bipartisanship. Here are some terrible examples of so-called bipartisanship. Heating up. Bipartisan duo Mansion and Cruz pitch bill to defend gas stoves. I mean these. 
dudes are defending gas stoves, not defending the poor, but defending gas stoves. The powerful senators will roll out the gas stove protection and freedom act. God doggy, give me a break. Woo, I almost said some words there, which would bar the Consumer Protect Product Safety Commission from using federal funding to ban new or existing gas stoves. Are you kidding me? No, we're not kidding you. This is real. So instead of some bipartisanship to let's say protect and expand the child tax credit, these dudes want to protect gas stoves. Gas stoves where people might not be able to pay for their their, their gas because real the increase of real wages is down or the cost of eggs up, cost of gas up, cost of living up, inflation up. Hello, somebody. But they will. They introduced a it, Jordan. They had the nerve to put the word freedom in the bill. I mean, really, I am expecting Rod Serling to pop out at any moment and say, "You're in the twilight zone." I, I, I'm. I'm curious how Biden thinks these ongoing conversations with Kevin McCarthy are going to go. Now, if you think back to Obama's. Uh, you know, first term when they lost the House, so this was the second Congress of his first term. When they lost the House, him and John Boehner would have these meetings at the White House late at night. Boehner would come over to the White House and they'd sit on the back porch and smoke cigarettes and drink. And there's a really interesting book by Bob Woodward called The Price of Politics about these meetings through budget negotiations processes and big fiscal packages. Because that is an area where you're going to have to find some sort of common ground to get that through the House and then ultimately the Senate. So they're gonna have to have some sort of relationship. But I think Biden also needs to remember Obama's first term and that the infamous Tortilla Coast meeting where Boehner and uh, Mitch McConnell and Eric Cantor and top House Republicans and, and Senate Republicans met and committed to blocking everything Obama wanted to do. That has remained constant throughout the Republican Party for years now. They're going to stop everything you can possibly do. And they're using this first month in power in the House to do some of the most ludicrous, irrational things. Like you mentioned gas stoves. Of course, today they voted to condemn the horrors of socialism. They voted today to kick Ilhan Omar off the Foreign Affairs Committee. She was one of the strongest, if not the strongest progressive voice on foreign policy on that committee. She was a threat to the status quo, the foreign policy status quo. That's how they're starting their process in control of the house. So I don't know what Biden actually expects. I think he assumes that things are going to be like how they were in the 70s and 80s, but that is not the case with the Republicans anymore. No, it's not Jordan, I mean, we're not dealing with the Republican party of the 70s or 80s either. I mean, this is a totally new breed. And Congressman Brokana's chief of staff wrote an article about bipartisanship. Let's take a look at the headline. I'm a dim chief of staff and live with GOP leadership staffers. Bipartisanship is all around us, this opinion piece. And here are a couple of things he 
had to say in this op-ed. Democrats who care about accountability in government should support Republicans calls for term limits for members of Congress. While Republicans should support measures offered by Democrats calling for term limits for Supreme Court justices. He goes on, Democrats who care about helping ordinary Americans build wealth and move up the economic ladder should make it easier for Americans to become accredited investors based on knowledge, not on net worth. While Republicans who extol the importance of family should be more open to supporting the child tax credit and parental leave. Again, Gio wrote this, he is the chief of staff for Representative Ro Khanna. And lastly, Fostering relationships across the aisle and finding areas of agreement is essential if we're going to avoid absolute gridlock in the 118th Congress. So, I mean, Geo makes some very good points. I can I agree with all of those points. Bipartisanship is important. It is a good and beautiful thing if it does not kill the working class people of this country. If it doesn't force them to make the sacrifice, the working day people of this country. So there has to be a line drawn though at some point on bipartisanship. If it hurts working class people, then we don't need it. It is really time out for the corporatist wings of both of these parties to continue to get their way time and time again off the backs and the necks of the working class people. Now I served in the Ohio Senate. I certainly understand what bipartisanship means, what it is. I had opportunities to work in bipartisan ways with my colleagues, particularly the governor of the great state of Ohio, Governor John Kasich, who in most cases we agreed on absolutely nothing and fought the good fight. But when young Tamir Rice, an African American little boy was killed on a playground here in the city of Cleveland, I was able to talk to the governor about the pain and the hurt of the people of this city, particularly black mamas and black daddies who are sick of seeing their babies hurt in this way. And you know what? The governor didn't say, well, you know, Senator Turner, you are one of them progressive progressives, so I can't deal with you. No, he said, come on, let's have the conversation, and we did. And from that, a task force was formed, the community and police task force for community, task force on community and police relations. Made up of a whole bunch of people from all walks of life who probably did not agree with much. But what we did know is that in that moment with so much hurt, the voices of the people needed to be heard. And it was time out for playing games about who's a Republican, who's a Democrat. So in some cases, bipartisanship can yield some good results, but it should never be at the expense of the workaday people of this nation. And unfortunately, in that Congress, when we hear the word bipartisanship, it often means that the people who have to make the sacrifice are not the corporate class. It is usually the big mamas and the big papas in these hoods all over this country where they are misunderstood, whether the hood is rural, urban, or suburban. Those are usually the people who will have to sacrifice. So we're gonna keep our eye on this bipartisanship and see who will be the winners and who will be the losers. And I love how you brought up the point that when President Barack Obama won, I mean, leader Mitch McConnell made it very clear what their number one goal was, was to make him a one-term president. And they've been working that agenda, even though President Obama is not there ever since. And President Biden was vice president then. So I don't know why he thinks he's dealing with a different set of people. Is he thinking that because he's in the president's chair and not President Obama? And if that is the case, that's something that makes me go, hmm, too. Because he watched them, he was side by side with that president while they did all manners of things. And but now he thinks he's dealing with a new 
Democrat Jordan, listen, I, I want some bipartisanship on behalf of the people to happen. I really do. Let's go ahead. You know what, Jordan? They care so much about the cost of living and inflation. Why don't they just go ahead in a bipartisan way and increase the federal minimum wage? How about that? How about they restore the child tax credit? I mean, Jordan, there are many things that they can do in a bipartisan way. I'm all for it. Absolutely. Uh, canceling student debt, it would help millions of people in red states, it would help people all over the country. The only bipartisanship we have seen in recent years have been for corporate subsidies and to further enrich military contractors and expand the military budget. That's it. If yes. they want bipartisanship, if Kevin McCarthy wants bipartisanship and bipartisan compromise, prove it. You have every opportunity to prove it. Work on, on something. They tried to block the infrastructure bill, they blocked Build Back Better. If you don't like it, Propose alternate solutions. Don't completely try to gut the bill and then throw your hands up and say, well, we tried. No, you didn't. There it is. It's a totally disingenuous stance. So I again, I'm curious to see how these meetings go and how this ongoing relationship goes. But I don't expect anything but the same from Kevin McCarthy and Republicans. They've, amp, they've had ample opportunity to show they'll be collaborators in a bipartisan way. And they have shown time and time again, they have no real interest in doing that. They wanna throw their hands up and whine and complain. And then when the next election comes around, just insist that Biden and the Democrats haven't done anything. Well, there it is, Jordan, we will see. We will also see what the Democrats accept because they had the 117th Congress. And they didn't do much with that power that they had at this time. So let's see what this bipartisanship looks like. We definitely gonna keep an eye on this and determine who will be the winners and the losers. So far, it is the workaday people of this nation. So the Marjorie Taylor Greene, that one, yeah, that Congresswoman, AKA Marjorie Tater Tide Green, is at it again. Take a look. Can you tell me how much money was given to Drag Queen Story Hour? The, the, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Who? Drag queen story time, where where men dress up as oh, oh, women oh, and, and read yeah. confusing books to children. Yeah. First, I thought you said dry clean. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Uh, no, I don't know the answer to either one of those two. Uh, oh, we need to look into this, and I, I urge you to do that. Um, they uh, Bradbury Sullivan LGBT Community Center in Pennsylvania received $16,000. Uh, for drag queen story time uh, from from COVID cash, um, I think this is an issue that needs to be looked into. A lot of this money went to things that should have never gone to. Good God, I mean, some things that should have never happened is this woman in Congress. But here we are. What you just watched was MTG on Wednesday in her unhinged return to the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability. Can you believe that this woman is back on this committee? Yeah, she is. She was questioning the US government accountability's Gene Dodaro on federal spending amid the COVID pandemic. And you saw his face when she asked the question like, woman, what in the hell are you talking about? That's what he wanted to say. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it for him. Woman, what in the hell are you talking about? Or just gonna say, Congresswoman, woman, what in the hell are you talking about? I mean, his face said it all. I wish he had just said the words, you know? So, but she, she didn't stop there because she can't help herself. Take a look at this. How much COVID cash was given to abortion? I do not know that answer. I don't have that answer. Oh, okay. So I do, I can tell you Planned Parenthood clinics received 80 billion 
in COVID relief loans, um, which is hard to understand how that happened. Um, Mr. Dodaro, can you tell me uh, how much how much COVID cash went to CRT? CRT. Critical race theory in education. It's it's a racist right. uh, uh, curriculum used to teach children uh, that somehow their white skin is not equal to black skin and other things in education. Yeah. Uh, no, I do not know that. Mr. Dodaro, I have to tell you, in Illinois, they, they received $5.1 billion um, at, at an elementary school there that, that used it for equity and diversity. Um, so it's, it's being used for these things. Jordan, I'm telling you, before we go any further, <laughs> I got to bring this out to the viewing audience. I cannot. Let me tell you something, if I were on that committee sitting in that Congress, the chairperson would have to gavel me down because I would have interrupted that committee for this foolishness and mayhem. The woman is crazy as hell. George is going to take over because I need a moment. I need a moment. <laughs> uh, she, I, I'm struggling to follow like, the point she's trying to make, but it seems like she's upset that the Paycheck Protection Program, which was COVID loans that were forgivable, that I believe she even received personally, uh, were went to causes and organizations that had political views and stances that were different than her. And what she's conflating is that plan, which helped people continue to get paid during the worst days of the pandemic and lockdown, She's conflating that with some direct federal investment and subsidy in these right wing conspiracy theories and fringe beliefs. This critical, like, there's no critical race theory organization or fund. It's maybe there's a school that, crazily enough, teaches people that everyone is equal and that's beautiful and we should celebrate that and celebrate our diversity that's a threat to the right apparently and that a school received money to make sure those teachers continued to get paid during covid is somehow egregious to her planned parenthood operates a national network of clinics those people still needed to work during a health crisis because planned parenthood offers a range of services well beyond just reproductive health it's good that people continued to get paid during the pandemic. And she's saying she's trying to conflate that with a federal investment or subsidy of abortion, which isn't true. And because of the Hyde Amendment, isn't even legal. So it really reflects that she doesn't know what's going on and doesn't really know what's happening. She apparently sees things on the internet, sees things on Facebook or in her Twitter replies, believes apparently everything she reads and just regurgitates it in one of the most prestigious committees in the house. At the same time, we need to recognize that Ilhan Omar was removed from the Foreign Affairs Committee. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene was removed previously for anti-Semitic conspiracies, but because Kevin McCarthy is such a weak leader, he caved in exchange for her voting for him for House Speaker, she's back on. I mean, what what more do you what more do you need to see that that was clearly a quid pro quo? We he caved entered, like, and I mean, we've entered the hundredth ring of hell. I mean, seriously, yeah. I, I just this 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 woman, okay, this chick, I, I just I just don't get. She don't even know what the hell CRT is. 
You know, and, and yep. you're right. I'm mean, conflating all kinds of stuff, but people are gobbling this stuff up because they believe this woman she's on from another planet. Mars, come get her. I don't want to put that on Mars, Jordan. That's a damn shame. Look, we just gonna have to make up a new planet, but please come and get her. Cause she's not from here. And she was lying. She's deranged. Take a look at this. The idea that one school in Illinois got $5 billion to teach equity and diversity is insane. So I decided to see where she's getting these numbers from. It turns out in 2021, the federal government issued education-related COVID relief funds to every state and Illinois specifically received $5 billion. The state's plan mentions equity and diversity to describe how they'll respond to the impacts of COVID-19, which has nothing to do with an actual curriculum for students. Not only that, but she claims that only one school received this $5 billion CRT check. Thank you, Manny. I mean, he laid it out. Just checking this chick, which is easy to do. And let's take a look at some of what Twitter had to say about this foolishness and mayhem. Another elementary school in Georgia got $5.1 billion to research Marjorie Teller Greene's brain. Hello, somebody. <laughs> Woo, that's delicious to quote Marissa. Delicious. And check out this one. Hey guys, it was actually my school. We got all the teachers, segues, and each kid got a VR set that we can use for doing CRT. Listen, critical race theory is not taught in K through 12, nor is it taught in undergrad. It is taught in law school. Hello, somebody. But on a more serious note, let us remind you. Okay, that this woman knows absolutely nothing. Let's see what my stump double had to say about CRT. For years, for decades, for generations in this country, black children have had to carry inferiority on their backs, in their minds, in their hearts. This country, going back to what John said, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the bad and the ugly. Chattel slavery was bad and ugly. And to be able to teach African American history in a holistic way, which is America's history. This country has some good, it has some bad, and it has some ugly. Critical race theory is taught in law school. It is not taught in K through 12. Hello, somebody. Now can we underline that, put it in a message in a bottle with an exclamation point and bold it, bold it, bold it, bold it. Look, y'all need to go get your cousins and let them know. They up in arms over CRT, something that is not taught in K through 12 education. More up in arms about that than they are about the fact that the child tax credit is gone. They more up in arms about that than they are that the Congress and this president in the last uh, Congress, the 117th, took away the rights of rail workers to strike. They more up in arms about that than the fact that they didn't pass the PRO Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Or the George Floyd Policing Act, or that people can't afford aid, or milk, or butter, or gas, or rent. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, I am definitely calling on Black Jesus on this one. Yes, I am, baby. When it when it's real deep, only Black Jesus will do. I said it. It is something wrong with these people. Do you hear me? Something wrong with them. In America, we must stop being complicit in our own demise.
Lord have mercy on my soul. Jordan, I'm telling you, I just can't take it anymore. We're going right to the to the bone. We're going to the jawbone. Gotta give me a chance to whoo, bring this on down, y'all. Every day they take a sister through her paces. Let's talk about Dr. Ralph David Abernathy. Shall we? The one and only, the great Dr. Abernathy. But we're gonna let let Dr. Abernathy speak through his own words. Let's go ahead and play this first clip. 1969, Dr. Ralph Abernathy tells of the struggle of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in the cause of civil rights. He was there. Thanks be to God, the eternal being who stepped out from nowhere into somewhere and spoke in the midst of darkness. And there was light. Oceans began to flow. Streams came into being. Plants began to grow. Flowers began to bloom. I'm talking about a God. Do you know him? There it is. Now, Dr. Ralph Abernathy was a Baptist preacher. He was a civil rights activist, leader, a freedom fighter. He was in many ways the right hand confidant to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. They were arrested many, many times together. They shepherded the uh, the uh, the um, uh, many of the civil rights actions that happened uh, throughout this country played a primary role in the Montgomery bus boycott. As Dr. Abernathy laid it out, it was his job to keep people motivated. And it was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s job to talk to people and really explain the power of nonviolent resistance. So Dr. Abernathy brings his words home. He's talking about the SELC and the work that they were doing in the South. Let's play this next clip. The Southern Christian Leadership Conference with a head bloody but unbowed wishes to make a report this morning. The Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was jailed in Albany, but still won the battle, bombed in Birmingham, bitten by dogs, with water hoses turned loose on us. But we still tamed the bull and, and made him a steer. The Southern Christian Leadership Conference, Chained in Danville, Virginia, stoned and beaten in St. Augustine by Horseman Nusset, but still came through with flying colors, wants to make a report this morning. It's a minority report. Ooh, Dr. Abernathy laying it down, wants to make a report this morning, the minority report. And then he brings it on home with these words. Take a look. The same minority group before whom stood Jim Clark, George Wallace, as well as angry policemen, mean and brutal state troopers and posse men were run over by them one bloody Sunday, wishes to make a report today. For like the Red Sea dried up, and the children of Israel crossed over on dry ground. On Tuesday, when we marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge at Selma, the troops moved back, and we went across without any difficulty and went on to the seat of government at Montgomery, Alabama. I want to report this morning. Woo, 
I want to report this morning. Now, baby, if you're not feeling that, are you feeling that? I want to make a report this morning. That was the one and only Dr. Ralph Abernathy. And let's put up his words today that we are highlighting one of his quotes. Bring on your tear gas, bring on your grenades, your new supplies of mace, your state troopers, and even your national guard. But let the record show we ain't going to be turned around. Pastor Dr. Ralph Abernathy, a Baptist preacher steeped in liberation theology, a civil rights leader, a confidant of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and one of the great giants of the 20th century. Jordan, I mean, just a amen for everything that he just said. Yeah, you think about the people who were leaders in that moment and who were on the ground organizing and fighting for their rights. And I can't think of anything more brave in that moment. And if we recognize their courage, their leadership, their bravery during this Black History Month, we have to recognize at the same time, even talking about that or learning about that is under attack. Yes. Now, DeSantis is, is attacking AP uh, African American Studies classes. And just the day before uh, Black History Month started, House Republicans disbanded the subcommittee on civil rights. They're showing you exactly how they feel about this, how they want to erase it and whitewash our history. We won't let them. We're going to continue to talk about it. We're going to continue to report on it. And remember these people who fought for a more just and equal society. That's it for each and every one of us. We will not in the 21st century, we will not be turned around. Thank you, Dr. Ralph Abernathy for all that you did for us. We know that you on the ancestral plane, but we appreciate you so very much. And you know, Jordan, that wasn't that long ago. This stuff that we're talking about right now is really recent history. Black history is America's history and we are going to keep pushing. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us today. We cannot wait to have you back, baby. You keep writing, doing those great things with the lever. We appreciate it. I'm coming to game with you one of these Fridays now. You're gonna awesome. expect I'm gonna surprise you. We're gonna do the daggone thing. <laughs> oh, we appreciate it. All right, we'll be right back after this. And welcome back to the show. It has definitely been a roller coaster ride. Now, you know, when I got to pull out my fire extinguisher, it is serious, but to bring my, you know, put me back in stasis viewer comments. So here we go, TYT members, Hoover, hey Hoover. Dems and GOP favorite and seemingly, seemingly only bipartisanship is bloating the military industrial complex. Looking at you, $858 billion defense budget. I know that's right, Hoover, you better say that again. And on Twitch, agnostic sister. I love you, Nina Turner, with an exclamation point. I love Nina Turner too. Thank you. Thank you so much, Agnostic Sister. I'm sending my love back to you, baby. And on YouTube, Super Chat, Panic Boo. Hey, Panic Boo. I needed Nina and Jordan today with four hearts. Well, thank you so much, Panic Boo. And to each and every one of you, we needed you too. We couldn't get to all of the viewer comments, but to those we got to, thank you so much. And thank you all for your support of Unboss and the TYT Network. So now, we're gonna bring some more fire to the show. If that was even possible, I am bringing in my sister, girl, friend, journalist extraordinaire, the one and only Crystal Ball. Hello, Crystal, it is so good to see you. 
It is so good to see you too, Nina. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I'm vibing with that wallpaper action you got. Now that, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't claim it. I like it too, um, but I can't take credit for it. I'm down in Austin, so it's the uh, backdrop of my hotel room. Oh my God, they did that. That's beautiful. I'm loving that. They did. So, Somebody has some style here. Yeah, they got some style. Now I gotta have you back on because some of our time got caught short. So I just want to put that out there right there, right away. And also, so you have shows. I want people to be able to go and to reach you on the show. So you are the host of Kyle and Friends. You're also on Breaking Points with Kyle, and I mean with Crystal, with Kyle. Kyle is on every show, but anyway, Kyle and Friends, <laughs> but with you and Sagar. Love, love, love that show, been on there many times. And you are also an author of two books in particular, Reversing the Apocalypse, which we really need that book right right about now, Crystal. Hi, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't work, so I need to write a new one, I guess. <laughs> is there still a chance? Oh my God, we need it. <laughs> And um, so, and and the populist guide to 2020, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I encourage you all to get those books and check out what Crystal had to say in each and every one of them. So, Crystal, I want to get to the Freedom Caucus right away. We know that Kevin McCarthy is now the Speaker of the House. I sigh deeply. He's the Speaker of the House because the Democrats failed to do what was necessary to win the House back. He is Speaker of the House. He had to make a lot of concessions. That Freedom Caucus, very few members, they decided to flex their muscles and they did get some concessions. And some of those concessions I could agree with. One in particular, which says to the Speaker, you cannot use your pack to jump into any race where a member of the GOP is going to win, giving free reign for maybe one of them freedom fighters. I want to call them something else, but I can't. So it's a it's a family show. But you know, they just saying to the to the speaker, don't jump into a race where a Republican or a Republican is going to win. Also, to lay a bill on the table for 72 hours. I mean, so few of them. They flexed their muscles. They got concessions, even though you and I probably wouldn't agree with 99.9% of what they pushed for. They did, in fact, show that you don't need a whole lot of people to have some power and to get some concessions. Why is it that the Congressional Progressive Caucus, who boast of about 100 members, could not do the same when the Democrats were in control? I mean, it's incredibly disheartening. And I'm jealous, frankly. A lot of what the Freedom Caucus got here is going to be terrible for the country, especially the mandate that we have this probably catastrophic showdown over the debt ceiling to try to get cuts, especially to social welfare programs. They've talked about taking a tiny little sliver out of the defense budget. We'll see, I'll uh, I'll maintain my skepticism until that actually happens. But I think that the progressives in the house have really bought into an inside narrative of, hey, if you really wanna get things done, if you wanna advance your priorities, then you gotta work inside the system. Don't listen to these activists on the outside who are telling you to use your leverage. We're gonna work with you. Of course, that's never gonna happen. And we've seen the way that their tactics have failed over and over again. So it's like the House Freedom Caucus has the right tactical strategy. And they did get a few things that I agree with you, I can I can sign up for as well. But ultimately, their whole politics is a Tea Party throwback vibe to the extent that it has any sort of cohesive um, ideology to it at all. So they've got the tactics right, and they show what you can do if you have some principles and you have something you're willing to fight for. But uh, you know, ultimately, they're just there to to bomb throw and sort of tear things down. I think a lot of the problem, and Nina, you would probably be able to speak to this better than anyone, is 
progressives tend to be fearful that the media is going to turn on them and like say mean things about them and, you know, not and say that they're not nice or they're obstructing or they're not being unified, et cetera. And I think that really, you know, keeps them in a corner from criticizing leadership and standing up to leadership when it's really necessary. Yeah, at some point people need to run as if they're only gonna get one term. Chris, I mean, you ran for Congress too. You were mad as hell about an issue that prompted you to run and and you ran. And there are a lot of people who just decide that they are gonna run to do the right thing. And I'm not saying that these people don't necessarily want to do the right thing, but there comes a time where you gotta make a decision. Is it the Christmas party or is it the people? You know, is it being in the club or is it the people? And so, yeah, the Freedom Caucus don't agree with their policies, but certainly they flex muscle in a way that I wish that progressives would do. And then, Crystal, the state of the Democratic Party, I want to put up a tweet from you that you put up, um, that you put out uh, about the, you know, what may happen. So, the New Hampshire poll, Biden is actually in a weaker position with Dems than Trump is with the GOP. Astonishing for an incumbent. President, we know that 2024 is upon us right now. Crystal, any thoughts you want to share with us about what you think will happen in 2024 and anything that the Democrats can do to be in a stronger position? Well, listen, I don't know what's going to happen in 2024, even though my name might be Crystal Ball and make my own lame name joke. But um, I will say that right now, I think Trump is a lot stronger than the media is portraying him. I would not take that drive for granted either in the Republican primary or potentially winning the White House back, would not take that for granted. And I think Joe Biden is a lot weaker than the media is portraying him. After the midterms, there's this idea, oh, he shored things up, he's been good. That's not what the voters are saying. That might be what the media and the political elites are saying, but that is not what the voters are saying at all. They've got a lot of questions about what he's done in office, what he hasn't done in office, and whether he will be up to serving another four-year term that ends with him at you know 86 years old. So uh, that's the dynamic that I'm watching right now because I do think that Biden is incredibly vulnerable to a challenge and people want to have other options in this thing that we supposedly have called a democracy. Yeah, I'm with you, Crystal. And you know what? Your parents really, I was one of your, not that I need your bio, but I always chuckle at the story you tell when you say, yes, this is really my name. My parents did do this to me. <laughs> your dad, physicist, he actually studied crystals, if my memory serves me. You correctly. got it. You got it. Hence, Crystal Ball. I love it. And I love you, Crystal Ball, host of Crystal, Cal, and Friends and Breaking Points. Crystal, we got to have you back on, darling. Sending nothing but love. Anytime. All right, Anytime. I appreciate you so very much. And I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. Now, you know what I want you to do about this time? I want you to keep the faith always, always, always. But you got to marry that faith with some work. And that work is the fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.